This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, back here in studio, very excited to be joined by one of the five Supreme Court justices, Jennifer Henderson. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy you're here. Um, you're not the first justice. I interviewed Chief Justice Winfrey last year, yep. and then I did one other podcast with Judge, former Judge Miller. So I I've listened. Been, I've did, <laughs> I did. A little preparation. Yep. You're probably good at preparing, I imagine, for your job. I try. I try. And I have to confess I'm kind of nervous being here today. So um, I'm really excited to have the chance to talk with you. Well, I want to talk um, a little about your your background, kind of how you got to Alaska. But first, um, you're kind of interesting. You you were a district court judge, a superior court judge, and now you're on the Supreme Court. And sometimes uh, it seems like people just go straight to the Supreme Court. But you've kind of done the whole, and we'll talk about maybe the differences of all the courts, but you've done all all three. I've had a long path and I think it's been a really good path for me. You're right. There are some people who just know I want to, I, there's an opening on the superior court. That's what I want to do. And they go for that and hopefully they're lucky enough to get it. And that's where they stay. For me, um, I feel, I feel huge privilege just in getting to be a judge, getting to be part of the, part of the court system and part of the, decision makers for cases that come in front of us where people are bringing sort of their most important whatever it is in Mm. front of us to decide. And um, I actually first applied for the Superior Court. That was my first judicial application. And I didn't make it out of the Judicial Council, which screens all the applicants for Mm. judicial positions, um, which I think was actually good at the time. I, I think I probably wasn't bringing the experience and perspective um, that you want to see in judges on the superior court. Um, and then I thought about it and there were positions open on the district court and I thought, I think I'd really enjoy that job. There are great people on that bench. So I'd have great colleagues, um, a lot of action, a lot of just the number of cases coming through district court is pretty staggering. And the number of hearings that the judges are handling is huge. So I got that experience. Um, and you, and you were pretty young. You were like in your thirties mm-hmm. when you got on the district court, right? That's right. I think it was, I was right around 35, 36 somewhere. I'm not doing math very well today, <laughs> but so, yeah. So that was, was that Parnell, I guess? Because for the folks, I think most people are familiar, but you go to the council, which we have this unique selection and then you get raided and then, those names get forwarded to the, the governor and then they have to choose right. from the names they get for all, all the different all the different courts exactly. for the judges. Exactly. Every level of judge goes through that um, Does that feel like screening you're process. Back in school or you're in some panel, I mean you're having to I guess answer questions and it's like an interview process, right? Basically for it's <clears throat> the whole process is really rigorous and it's long. Um, I you know, six, seven months long usually, and you start with the council, um, and they do a lot of investigation into 
um, your background. They talk to your prior employers. They get the ratings from lawyers. Yeah, pe- people rate you, right? Yes. They actually rate you numerically um, for different qualities and different characteristics. And then they can make comments um, and it's all anonymous, so we don't know who's, you know, making the comments. And, um, and you have an opportunity to review all that, but the council gets all of that information, and then they have all the applicants one by one um, for interviews. And it really is, it's kind of like almost being back in law school and being mm-hmm. called on cold questions, although um, their questions are so well-informed um, and and tend to really focus on the substance of what it's going to take to be a fair, impartial, intelligent judge and do the job well. So it's um, an intimidating process, but it's a great process, I think. So you came up here, like a lot of people, you came up here for to clerk, but I, I read a little bit about you. You're from California, and then you went to Yale, so that's that's one of the that's one of the, was big, a big one of the big ones for, for me. It was a great experience. I went to college in Southern California. I, I was born up. in San Diego. Okay, so I w- um, lived in Santee, a little suburb mm-hmm. in the eastern part of San Diego. Yeah, my I, my dad was in the Navy. He retired right after I was born, but oh my goodness, he was stationed there. I was born uh-huh. at Balboa Naval Hospital, actually. Uh, so, and he, he was stationed at San Clemente, but. So okay. as soon as I was born, we moved to New Mexico. But my aunt lived in Thousand Oaks and cousins. So okay. growing up, yeah. I'd, I'd go to you know Southern California. In quite that a bit. area, a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a busy, busy place. Um, the tra- I can't deal. With, I, I you know I'll go down <laughs> for some event or whatever. My sister's down there, but the, the I mean I just every time I'm in that traffic, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how yeah. I just get so frustrated. Yeah, um, I love to visit, but after spending one year, maybe even less time here. Um, whenever I go back to, at that point, that was home. So I'd go back home to visit my family and I would feel like this is not my place. Like Alaska is my home. Alaska is I mean, the worst place. part is it's so busy there and kind of fancy and Alaska is just. The worst part is when you like, when you put something in the phone or the Google map and it's like, yes. it's a, it should be a 30 minute drive, <laughs> but it says like two, two hours. hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> and you know, it's like the only time to drive there is at night, like late at night because the roads are pretty open. Yep. But it, it is, yeah, I, I, uh, I can't, <laughs> I don't know how people live there. I mean, it's. Again, I love to visit and I love the place, but this pretty quickly became home. So when you were in undergrad, undergraduate, did you always want to go to law school or did you decide at some point to go to law school? I actually, I just knew I wanted to help people and I didn't know how I could best do that. So initially in college, I remember feeling like, oh, I don't know, do I do science? Do I want to try to be a doctor or some sort or a therapist of some sort um, or do I want to do something that's more aimed at the law and law was somewhere in my early growing up something that I considered it was a possibility but it wasn't something that I knew that I wanted to do um, until probably midway through college I thought oh, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do learn and become more knowledgeable in the law and procedures so I can help other people um, and that kind of funneled me toward law school, but I wasn't really sure still what that was going to look like. So attending Yale, I assume you probably did pretty well on the, uh, the LSAT. I'm guessing you probably did I, I pretty had to, good. I took it twice because I didn't do as well the first time as I wanted to. So I took it again, did pretty well the, the second time. I took it once. <laughs> I, I didn't really ever, it was like a thought I had and mm-hmm. I didn't really study for it. I didn't do very well. But those stupid games, those the games like are seven days and seven people and seven planes and yes. X goes on this day and doesn't go on this day and can't fly. You know, I'm like looking at this. I'm like, why does this freaking matter? <laughs> <laughs> 
And I remember like trying to study a little bit and I was like, I'm just going to kind of wing it. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard test. I, the first time around, actually, it was a game section problem that totally threw me and I didn't finish that section. The one, yeah. The one that <laughs> I remember it was, it was like seven people and there's seven days and there's seven planes. And they give you these scenarios like Jamie can't fly Monday, but must fly Wednesday and could fly Thursday. Right. And Matt and Bill have to fly Monday, but, but won't fly that Saturday. And then if they've... <laughs> Oh, I think remember. And this think- one has to sit in this seat, and the other one has yes. to sit in the middle seat. And yeah, no, and you just have like a minute or two to try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So when you applied, did you apply to a different school? Like I did a lot of schools. And yeah, the, and all over. When you um, got the Yale letter, were you like, oh yeah, well, wow, that's trembling? Yeah, that's a big no, one. No, it was big, and they. Um, I didn't know if I, you know, I'm just. It was so far from home and what I'd experienced that I didn't know. So you're like twenty. You're like something I should do. You're like early twenties. You get and you're from California. And then you're going all the way to the other yeah. end, the East Coast. Yeah, and for me that was a huge adventure. I I have super close family, my mom, my brother, and I, and some extended relatives in in Southern California, and and that was like home base. So for me to go across country was a huge adventure. Um, but my mom always encouraged that. Were you there? I know, I know there's. Quite a few Alaskans that went to Yale. I mean, did, were you yeah. there with anybody that's around now? Or? So Judge Allard, who's on the Court of Appeals, was my TA. She was in the class above me. Oh, um, wow. So my first year, she was my TA and I think um, monitored a lot of my writing for one of uh, sort of my... They have a main professor your first semester that you that you work with and a main group of students that is your cohort. And so she, yeah, she was... She, um, we joke sometimes that she taught me what I know <laughs> about the law. Um, but I was there with her. I think Judge Garten maybe was, yeah, I want to say, um, we haven't talked about this recently, but I think she was there slightly ahead of me. Um, so yeah. So and then, um, Bill Falsey was oh, he's, he's, somewhere he's, around he's, me. He's, yeah. he's been on the, he's been on the podcast. Has he? Yeah, I yeah, because he was that. he was um, the man, the mayor, the attorney for the city, and yep. the ma- manager. Yep. So he was kind of the you know with uh, the earthquake. Remember, he was kind of uh-huh. like the, the he had the beer, the picture of him, and then <laughs> Ethan Berkowitz too, with like after a, the beards and all the uh-huh. you uh-huh. know. But yeah, no, he was on the podcast um, a while back. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, he he did go there. I forgot about that. I forget about it too. After you know, after a while, it's especially after a while of being here, it's about. Um, your connections with people here and what they're doing. So you're okay. So in your law school, and then at some point you ended up here. Well, how'd that? So happen? I had a clerkship that was lined up. This happens with federal clerkships. You have to line them up like years in advance, um, a couple years in advance. And so I had one lined up for a couple of years out of law school, and I didn't know what I was doing the year after law school. And third year. I'm walking down the hallway um, in the main hall at Yale, and there are these signs that say, um, you know, there are interviews for the Alaska Supreme Court. And um, one of the justices, it was Justice Brenner, came and um, took applications and interviewed people. And I just thought this would be the most interesting, exciting adventure, again, (laughs) adventure um, that I could take. And I did not know what it was going to be like. That's great. We do, do other states do are all the states doing that, or I think I mean I know that the justices on our court travel sort of throughout the country to law schools um, to interview and recruit. Um, we don't have a law school here, so we try to bring people 
to us. Um, we are, really like if we can bring Alaskans back. Are other states going to the co- colleges too and trying to pitch for know. other? That's a good question. I don't know that. I think some of them probably so. I think particularly where there's a more limited um population of law students and, mm-hmm. and potential lawyers that's probably happening i have kind of a similar i was in i grew up in new mexico uh-huh. and i went to the university of new mexico <clears throat> for a year before i moved here but at one point i was in high school there was a college fair i went to go check out and there was it was 2000 i graduated in 03 so it's probably like 02 or 03 but okay. i saw the university of alaska anchorage and back then this is like before oh, wow. before palin before all the tv shows before you know it's kind of a mysterious probably yeah. the same time when you were yeah and i'm thinking like wow they have a co- college there you know right like, like oh my right. gosh and i kind of remembered that and at the time when i wanted to leave new mexico there was the the wooey the western undergraduate mm-hmm. exchange you get like a tuition discount so I, my friend and i convinced them to come up here and we moved here and if I wouldn't have that's seen amazing. that, and, and that's why it's so important for outreach, whether it's the university or the, you know, the court or the medical, whatever, to get people up here. Because if I wouldn't have seen that, yeah, uh, who knows if I would have, you know, come up here. Right. And that's exactly true for me. And it ended up being completely life changing. So you applied and then you had to wait, I guess, or there was a. I applied and um, they, now that, now I know, now that I'm on the Supreme Court, I know that everyone comes back and. Um, sort of shares notes about how the interviews went. And then um, there's sort of a round robin of choosing of um, law clerks for the next year and offers that get made. And uh, so Justice Matthews called me and um, oh, offered the, a clerkship. The one, the one who's still around? <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, yes. Um, Justice Warren Matthews. Yeah. Oh, okay. There's yeah, also a Judge yeah, Matthews. Thinking yeah. of the other Matthews guy. <laughs> exactly. He's, yeah, he's, he wouldn't, wouldn't be him because he's, he's kind of newer too. Right. Right. Um, so they called you or they sent you a letter or they... He called and offered me the clerk... Well, there are three clerkships with each justice. And I asked if I could think about it overnight um, because it's sort of a big... That's a big one. And a big change. It's a big one. And I just had to do it. I think I talked with... Maybe I talked with Marjorie. Um, I talked with someone who had a little bit of experience with trying it out and... Um, just had to try it, had to do it. So what year What year did you come up here? 2001, 2001, 2002, so starting in the fall of 2001. And, and you've, been, you've been here since? I went back to Southern California for the year that I had that clerkship that I'd already arranged before I got the um, this Supreme Court clerkship. So I went back and I did that other clerkship after clerking with Justice Matthews and then um, came right back. I mean, this really quickly felt like home in mm-hmm. Alaska. I have to confess also, though, that I met my now husband, who was also clerking. Um, classic, classic Alaska. Classic, classic Alaska story. He's from here um, and, you know, came back to clerk, thankfully. And yeah, so I met him. And He's a lawyer, he too? He was or? part of the draw. He's also a lawyer. Yep. So he, he went to, where'd he go to law school? He went to University of Montana. Oh, uh, yeah. My friend went there. Go Grizz, he would want me to say. Right? My, 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 my buddy went there, Lee. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow. He may know A L- lot of Montana people, yes. um, not just for, for law school, but a lot of friends went there for either Montana State or University of Montana for different... I have a lot of friends that have gone to school there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities connection with Alaska. Yeah. The environment. Yeah. No, so I was drawn back both because of the place and... and um, the people that I met, including, of course, him. But So you yeah. do your clerkship, and then you were in private practice for 
I went to the DA's office actually. Oh yeah, I forgot you you were a yeah. so you were a pros, pros, I guess prosecutor or just prosecutor for about three and a half years. Yeah, and then um, thought I would try private pa- practice. There was sort of a point at the office at the DA's where there was a shift going on with some of the people that I'd been working with for a while, and they were shifting out toward private practice. And I'd always kind of wanted to give that a shot too and see what what it was like. So I did that for. A little over five years. Um, so did you, at some point, did you say, I want to be a, I want to be a judge or you got in, like, did you always want to be a judge or did you over time think, oh, that, you know, I think I'd be, it'd be, a, be fun to be a judge. It was an over, over time thing. I think as I worked my way through time at the DA's office and then worked um, over time in private practice, I had this sense that I liked, I maybe didn't like arguing as much as I liked trying to figure out what the right answer was Mm -hmm. under the law. Um, I think there's a lot of importance in having people present those arguments and, and actually that's crucial. Um, But I felt for me, it was more natural to be in kind of a decision-making role and figuring out what the right answer is under the law. Um, So that seemed to fit. And I started to see openings for a while. I felt like, Oh, I couldn't possibly, I'm not, Judges seemed, that just seemed out of reach. And then I started mm-hmm. to see some contemporaries of mine who started practice around the same time applying. And I thought, ah, I'd give it a shot. Why not? Yeah. I talked to my bosses at the time and they were very supportive. And um, so I went for it. And I'm so glad I did. I'm very, I mean, totally privileged and um, so happy to get to do any of the judicial. When you came here to clerk for the Supreme Court, did you ever think at all, I'm going to be one of these justices one day? Did that ever like cross your mind, that possibility, like a fantasy or some? Not in my wildest dreams. Um, I, I probably somewhere early in practice thought about maybe being a judge, but I didn't think that I... I didn't think that I would be a justice or even that I would try for that mm-hmm. um, until I think after being a judge and being in the court system for a while and actually having other people say, have you thought of this? And thinking thinking about the possibility and what it might be like. So we talked about you were on the district and superior and not Supreme Court. Um, maybe talk a little bit about like what's the difference I know the sub- district court is it more like misdemeanor? It's not. It's not uh-huh. felonies, uh-huh. right? Right. And then so, the supre- supre- uh-huh. superior, and then I know there's the appellate and the supreme. So there's these different levels. Maybe talk a little bit about what they do and the and the differences. Absolutely. So district court, um, district court, and superior court are two different levels of trial court. Uh, district court, in terms of criminal cases, has misdemeanors and handles hearings for pre-indicted felonies. So that's before they go to grand jury. Um, for civil cases in district court, you have cases where the amount at issue that's being sued for is less than $100,000. And then district court has like FEDs, the eviction cases and small claims cases. And then superior court. That's kind of like the nuts and bolts stuff. Like right. A lot of right. little smaller issues. Quick, or it tends to be quicker, mm-hmm. um, like a quicker what we call discovery process, exchange of information, and getting right into trying to hammer out um, the results. So those cases tend to move more quickly. Um, 
through the system, and the district court has just a lot of volume. Is this kind of um, comparable to like on like Law and Order? Somebody goes in, and or maybe that's different when they get right away, and it's like bail, blah blah, boom, next. That would be so the bail, the arraignment, the initial hearings that are happening. Yeah, that a lot of that is the district court judge. Actually, I have memories of having like my picture in the paper associated with a case when I was a district court judge. Mm-hmm. And really, I just did the arraignment. Like, I just handled maybe the initial hearing and people start to associate you. Is that district court or is that, who's the person when, you know, when you see people on TV and there's like the glass and there's, is that, is that a magistrate or is that a just the, the original kind of the initial thing when you see them on that little room at the, at the jail, there's a judge there and they handle the like arraignments, I guess, or maybe the, when somebody's arrested. I would say it probably depends on the state and the court system who that person is. But for us here, that could either be a magistrate or a district court judge, mm-hmm. typically. So the superior court, now that gets a little more, more serious Those are the stuff. felonies in terms of criminal and then for civil, those cases over $100,000. Um, and then the wide gamut of, I should say, superior court is a court of general jurisdiction. So really it can handle any trial court matter. Um, but the civil cases go beyond you know, those contract money cases where a party is suing another party. It's also child in need of aid. Um, divorce cases, custody cases, probate, which is guardianship, conservatorship, um, mental commitment. So this broad array of issues and tend to require, whereas district court is very like fast paced, moving so if, if you're slower. If you're in a private, pra- let's say if you're a private practice and you're civil or maybe criminal or maybe you're a district attorney or maybe you're a, a public defender. I mean, all the things you just mentioned, I mean, that's a lot of stuff. You have to yeah. really... It must be really kind of to go to the superior court, for example, to be able to look at all those things. Um, it's a lot. It's daunting, and it, it's so challenging. It's exciting, too. Um, I've told people I've had days when I was on the superior court where I literally went from you know, a child in need of aid hearing to a domestic violence protective order hearing to maybe I've had a jury trial and there's a question from the jury, so I'm like shifting focus to that, and then an oral argument about a conference, a contracts case, and like from eight thirty to four thirty, one thing to another, often no breaks in between. I mean, it's like uh, fast and furious, but deeper dives. I would say into um, into the the substance of the um, cases because a lot of those cases require evidentiary hearings and require you to really hear from people about now, what's happened. On the Capitol, I, I saw you there for the justices, um, state of the judiciary. There's, there's ample coffee all around. <laughs> Is that the same? Do you guys have a lot of coffee around? Cause pretty much everywhere you go at the Capitol within, about, you know, 150 feet, there's coffee. That is a great question. We do have, actually, on the Supreme Court, in the kitchen next to the conference room, there's almost always coffee there. Um, I try not to drink too much. Um, I, drink yes, a lot, I drink a lot of coffee. Is, coffee is there and ready, and we're surrounded by coffee places. It's funny, you meant, like, the way you said that, the coffee or the, the kitchen, next to, it's like, it could be any, I mean, you're the Supreme Court justice, but... I mean, it's just like any, it's just, it's a job too. You have to go yeah. to work and there's yeah. a kitchen, there's a break room, there's all these. Exactly. Exactly. You're like, you're like, you're like a person too. <laughs> we, we are real people <laughs> who drink coffee and, um, you know, have kids that wake us up in the middle of the night. And so you have, you have, you said two, before we started two kids. two kids. Yeah. Yeah. 10 and seven. So 
how does that, I mean, you're meeting people, parents, I mean, does, hey, what do you do? I mean, what do you, do you say, oh, I'm on the Supreme Court. I mean, <laughs> must be I a, am a little, I don't know why this do is Do people ever know? I mean, most people don't know even who their legislators are or judge. Right. Most people just aren't aware of this, so. Some people know um, just because, you know, they get to know your kids and your family and over time sort of recognize news that comes out or discussion of a, of a judge or justice. Um, a lot of people don't. And it's funny when I get the question, I feel shy about it. I, I sometimes will say I work with the court system. I'm trying to be better about that, though, because I think really people need to know that judges, justices, you know, people who are making decisions in that aspect of of other people's lives. We're just, we're people and we're trying to do the best we can. Mm. My perspective is I'm trying to do the best I can to make the right decision in someone's case. I'm so glad you came on here and Justice Winfrey before, because for me and somebody in politics, I mean, these legislators, they want to campaign, they talk to people. They're very, you know, for the most part accessible But with judges. I mean, they're kind of a little scary. If you see a judge, it's usually not in the best situation. Right. You're in trouble or there's a right. civil, maybe a kid or a, you know, so it's, it's, they're so um, kind of out there. In, Often in, something in the really hard or difficult, something really big is going on in people's lives when they're in court. And so it's a scary, intimidating thing to be there. And they may not know the system and how it operates and, and what to do and what to say. Um, I always used to try to keep that in mind when I was a trial court judge and to try as best as possible to help people to feel comfortable and to help them to know what was going to happen in the courtroom and what to expect um, and to smile and to have eye contact and just let them know I'm a person who is here with special training and you know special knowledge that I've tried to gather over time, but I'm here to try to make a decision about this really important problem or question going on in your all's lives. Um, and ultimately, <coughs> not everyone agrees with you. Of course, you make a decision and maybe one party's unhappy. Maybe I think Justice Winfrey, maybe everyone's unhappy. Well, I was just going to say that he, in his state of the judiciary, which he was leaving, so I think he probably mm-hmm. um, went a little, maybe a little more off leash than normal. And I like, I love this speech. I, I thought it was a great speech. speech, but he said, you know, I know what an activist judge is. We've all known for a long time. It's somebody who rules against you. Yeah. And that was yeah. a great, I think that was a good, good line that yeah. he had. I think people tend to under, you know, maybe the fact that it's a, we are a mystery sometimes to people and hopefully we can change that. We really, judges are people and justices are people. Um, but maybe that mystery feeds a little bit into not understanding mm-hmm. why judges are making the decisions that they are. It's really just the law, looking to the law. There is nothing more important to a judge or a justice. Um, we, our whole system, depends on the rule of law. And that depends on people having faith in the fact that the decision maker, the judge, the justice, whatever, is not going to be favoring one side or another automatically, is not going to be in the pocket of anyone, but really is just looking to the law and going to make a decision based on that. And we're, we're, we're pretty unique. You know, we have the Judicial Council, but many other states elect judges. And I think we've seen a lot of some of the problems with that associated with you know, you get all these campaign donations and now who, yeah. who, who, who do you, I just kind of, wonder what who do you, it, who do you serve? What it would feel like to be a litigant in a courtroom where, you know, a judge is having to raise money for campaigning and having to go through that election process. Um, I 
That would be really difficult. So I, I am a huge fan of our system, even though I think it's really difficult for potential judges to go through. It is very rigorous and you mm-hmm. put yourself on the line to get rated for lots of different things and to answer a lot of questions. But that's for good reason. We want judges who are going to be fair, who are um, going to really examine the law and be critical thinkers. And so, um, you know, I couldn't say enough in terms of positive aspects of the system that we have, even though, again, it's a really difficult system. So when you're on the, when you're on the superior, maybe the district court too, this is just, it's, it's, these cases are random, right? It's a random order and you don't choose what you get. You could, for whatever reason, if you decide to recuse for some reason and that goes, or the, the lawyers either side can do a, a preemptive, they can, right, they for whatever reason. One, whatever reason, preemptive challenge um, within a certain period of time of getting notice of the assignment. It's like five days um, after they get notice that you're assigned, they could preempt you. But otherwise, it's just, I mean, and even if that happens, then it's randomly have you whoever ever, the next judge is. I want to ask you about any kind of specific case, but have you ever mm-hmm. had a case where you're like, oh, this is cool, and then boom, preempt? Yes. You're like, darn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe a little piece of your brain goes, but why? Why was I preempted? Because they can do it. For, they, they, they don't have to give a reason. That. Either side yeah. doesn't have to give. They can just say, if exactly. you want to do a new one. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about the superior in the district. Now the Supreme Court is a whole different animal. It's a whole different animal. animal. Yeah. And it's, um, I'm still adjusting to it. I mean, I love the work that I've done on the trial court. I love the work that I'm doing now. I feel like I'm getting better at it. But it's. Because Governor Dunleavy pointed you a couple of years ago to the. Supreme, right. Supreme Court, right? right. 20, 2021, Almost I think. Almost two years ago. Yep. You, you, I think, were the youngest, but now uh, the Bo- the Borgeson guy, he's Justice a little, Borgeson little is younger than you. A little bit younger. Years. Senior on the court to me because he's been there just slightly um, longer, but but I'm a little bit senior in age. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah. now the Supreme Court, it's not like the U.S. Supreme Court where you can right. pick, and I've talked about this with other people, but... Mm-hmm. It's some big stuff, but it's also just like divorce things or it's just everything. So every civil case in every civil case, the parties have an automatic right of appeal um, to the Supreme Court. I should say there are some lower level civil cases that first right of appeal might be to the Superior Court. Um, But almost everything then has this automatic right of appeal to the Supreme Court And unlike the U.S. Supreme Court, where they can sort of select what they want to be on their docket, depending on whether there are circuit splits or something going on where they feel the need to to make a decision, we we take it all. We can't turn anything away. We um, wouldn't. And then it gets randomly assigned. So we have sort of five cycles of cases, and you just get the next one up. Um, It just goes by rotation. So it truly is random um, in terms of assignment of cases to each justice. And then if I'm the assigned justice, it's my chambers that's sort of working up the case in terms of preparing a memo for um, the other justices. And uh, we all prepare individually for each of the cases. For your assigned case, you do a little bit extra in terms of getting a memo out um, to the other justices. And then we don't talk about those cases um, until we're in conference well, and, together. And, and that's what I was going to, uh, I talked to Justice Winfrey about, uh-huh. and as somebody, you know, I've, I've been involved in politics for a, a long time and go to Juno, and, you know, a lot of committees have five people, just like there's five justices. Like <laughs> and there's a, you know, so in this case, there's like this, 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 this chief justice, a, chair, a committee chairman is kind of runs the show and they're, they're expected, the majority members are expected to kind of do go along with them. 
Now, not, the, now the chief justice is not like it's different, right? And also, different. also there's if you if you have five people, I've joked with the chief judge, you need three votes, right? So you got if you have, you have to get three, or if it's seven, you have to get five. And there's you know back room talking talking about right. another maybe another bill or another deal, and you vote for me, I'll vote for. Now this is not because I think a lot of legislators and po- people in politics view the Supreme Court as a similar th- process. And it couldn't be more different. There's five people, there's three votes, but right. you guys are, you're, you're not supposed to, you're not talking separately, we, are you? We do not at all. And in fact, if someone has something to say, even procedurally, like, oh, I'm thinking about um, granting this motion to continue argument to whenever. If we have anything to say about the cases ahead of conference to each other, um, it's in writing. It's printed out on all of our computers. We're all getting the same information. Truly no discussion about the cases before conference. And then conference is even built. Conference is like a meeting. Conference is where we all come into the conference room and um, we have our list of cases that we're going to address, whether they've had oral argument or not. And um, we'll you know start with the first on the list and the assigned justice will present um, sort of the, the background and the legal issues and a recommendation that they have. And then um, what happens next is really built to have each justice truly state their own opinion, their agreement, disagreement, or reasoning and reasoning behind that. Um, so they start with the junior most justice, I think, to encourage that junior member mm-hmm. to really say what they think and not just go with the flow or oh, I see, yeah. do what the chief justice is doing. That's very right? different in the yeah. legislature. Really? <laughs> 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 that'd be junior not, has to wait. That'd be weird if they start. Sometimes these freshmen, they couldn't even maybe some of these issues. Like it's just like the what you talked about in the when you're on the superior court, mm-hmm. um, the legislature. There's so much going on. Yes, there's so many different issues there's all these eight departments and there's bills and there's you know not knowledge about you have to know about education you have to know about natural resources you have to know about uh revenue and taxes and yeah. all these different and it takes a lot i think i think people That's have said people have said that you know and i've seen i've been there five this is my fifth year um it's it's like an education and if you truly whatever you want to learn about you can learn about i mean they have experts and you know, heads of companies and industries. And there was a presentation I saw a couple of years ago about micronuclear reactors and these oh, wow. guys flew in and they were, it's like, you can just literally be in the room with them and watch them and talk to them. And afterwards, and there's just so much to, to, to learn. If you, mm-hmm. if you're inquisitive and you're mm-hmm. smart and you want to um, pay attention, there's a lot yeah. you can, you have to, you have to, the other thing they say is you have to know a, a, a little about a lot Okay. to be in, you know, cause there's so much any given day. I mean, things could just I can only imagine, I, I admire um, the legislators that are out there, and, and there's so much um, that they're learning and trying to take in and make decisions about. Um, I, I, you know, I love my job. I don't think I could do that job, but I admire um, you know, trying to learn about all of that and, and act from that knowledge. Could you imagine raising money, knocking on doors, and, no. hi, I'm Jennifer, I'm running for the... <laughs> Hi, can you vote? Can you vote for me? I was telling you earlier, I'm so shy. I would have extreme difficulty. With it's interesting that. with um, probably with judges too, but with legislators, um, the attributes to be a good legislator are very different than the attributes to be a good candidate. Um, oh, and some, wow. sometimes they overlap. But, I never but often thought about that. Oh, this is very so. Oftentimes, there's people that are great would be a great legislator. They're a horrible candidate. And then sometimes you have great candidates, okay. But then they're you know they aren't maybe the best legislators. So it's really the attributes and the traits are very different. It sounds so difficult. 
so difficult. Very different from, you know, the focus that I get to keep sort of on singular process in in my job. So when you're doing the conference, um, does it ever come down to kind of two, two, and then somebody has to, because some of these decisions are three to two. Sometimes it is a close. And I think more, more, more often it seems like it's a little more four, one or five. I guess what's the breakdown of the decisions? Yeah, I think um, I think this came up with the chief justice too, and and my experience so far has been about I think he said like ninety percent or so are unanimous, so five zero. Um, I think that feels about right in terms of my experience so far. Occasionally four one, very occasionally, you know, maybe a split where we've got four people. Sometimes there's a justice not available, so we've got a four person court and two two. I think maybe. Um, yeah, I, that's happened occasionally mm-hmm. on the time that I've been on the court, which is not that long yet. But so yeah. when you when you get the um, higher the higher profile or the, some of the political matters, um, I guess you're. I mean, you're aware. I'm sure you're aware. It's a political matter. Sure. Um, sure. There's many many examples. Are you some, something? You know, po- politicians are always watching the news. The what are they saying? They're they're paying attention. Are you no. aware of this stuff, or are you? Um, like reading the newspaper, what are they saying about me? No, or? no I, I'm aware it's high profile often. I mean, a lot of the election cases, some of the, the ones that we've had that are pretty quick turnaround because of deadlines. I'm Re- aware redistricting's a, Right, you know. right. I'm aware that um, it's high profile. It's important to a lot of people. I don't read about it. I cannot let what is... I guess the conversation outside of the information that's being presented mm-hmm. to me in the case, I cannot let that affect my decision. And I think for so many like politicians or legislators, it's that mindset is so different because, because they are watching everything. Right. And it's like, and if I make, if I vote job. this way, how is it going right. to affect my next election or how is it going to affect this, these people right. that support me or these they people? They have constituents that mm-hmm. they're representing. And, and so it makes sense to be looking to those, you know, what is the reaction? How is this going to affect people? But in, um, you know, with what we're doing, applying the law to a set of information being given to us, um, it's got to be without any of that, you know, thinking about what are people going to say, what are people going to think. It's really just got to be pure application of law. And sometimes there's disagreement about what the law means. But even then, we're not making that decision based on, you know, politics or what people are you know, going to say about us or think about us, it's based on what do I truly think this law means and why and how does it apply? So I've got a lot of friends that are lawyers and I've, I've, I've oftentimes asked them, do you want to, you know, be a, you know, be a judge one day? And one, one in particular said, no way. And I said, why not? I'd probably be a good judge. And, and he told me, well, it's, it's, it's a kind of lonely job. You, you, you can't talk to certain people. If you're, especially if you're in a job where you're maybe involved in the politics or you have friends that are and you become a judge, all of a sudden you can, so is that, is that, is there kind of truth to that where you have to start selecting who you're around or what you can talk about or not talk about? I think um, there's some truth to that. There's a lot of truth to the limitation on your ability to, to talk about certain things. So a lot of what's happening in your day to day as a judge, you, you can't talk about, um, you just can't go into like those a sp- details. It's almost like a people. spy. Right. You can't be telling people, Hey, I'm a spy. You know? right. <laughs> Here's what I did today. <laughs> No, I mean, there's, there's some isolation in that, but then, you know, for me, I, maybe this is really fortunate for me in a lot of ways. I had 
my first child around the time that I started as a judge. So I have this set of friends that have come up through sort of just having kids and worrying mm-hmm. about kids and thinking about their lives. And, um, and they, to them, it's not really important what I do. Um, so there's not a pressure to, to talk about it. They sort of understand. And I think your friends over time come to understand, okay, there's certain things that, that we can't talk about, but boy, we have a lot of other things that we can talk about. You know, the, the things we like to do outside of work, um, you know, the, the things we have in common, like worrying about kids and schools and, uh, you know, the things that we talk about besides our, our jobs. So you got, you got on the Supreme court during COVID. Yes. And you were, but you were before you were on the superior court. So, um, I know it's had a big impact on the courts and every, everybody, but now there's some more stream streaming of some of these hearings and there's, that's a positive thing. I think it's sometimes it's hard to to go downtown and park and, um, (laughs) so maybe talk a little bit about the COVID and the impact and had on, on the on the on the court system. Yeah, I think um, you're right that there's definitely a lot of positive that we've been able to kind of draw out from um, the adjustment to COVID. We've got our ability to use technology to reach people and to allow people to reach the court without having to come and park or fly to, to the mm-hmm. location where they would have to go um, is staggering. We've always been pretty good at it. Um, you know, we've always been pretty flexible given the size of the state um, and the layout of our state, we've been pretty flexible about telephonic appearances and things like that. But now, gosh, I mean, you can, you can see people and, and really have them present before you without having them have to come into the courtroom. And there are always going to be things um, that we want to do in person um, and wherever a person wants to come into court and be there in person um, I think it's important, you know, that they be able to do that. But it's really hard in in a lot of instances for people to get to the courthouse um, and navigate everything they need to navigate to to make that happen. So I think our ability to use technology to reach people and have people reach us is just um, that's been a huge benefit, I think. Um, something else I wanted to ask you, I forgot before, but, uh, Justice Winfrey told the kind of a story about he applied for the court and then he got interviewed by Palin's people and then he left and then he got a call. Can you come back? And then, so I guess I remember that it was a kind of like funny story. He was <laughs> yeah. having coffee or something there. Can you come back? And he, he thought it was going to be about some, like, mm-hmm. what do you really think about abortion or some, you know, some whatever, but it was just like, Hey, we, we picked you. Um, so you were three times appointed, maybe. Were, were these similar or different? Like how, cause I think it was Parnell, Walker, Dunleavy, right? That's right. That's right. They were, um, somewhat similar in the sense that no one called me right back, like immediately after my interview and said, come back and then delivered the news in that, in that way that quickly. Um, they were also similar in the sense that I had pleasant interviews with each of those governors and their staff. And it generally involved the governor and, you know, four or five other people. Um, and they were all really pleasant interviews. Um, were you nervous going, going, yes. that's a big, yes. that's a big one. I mean, that's a I big, really a big meeting. It's a high level meeting. <laughs> like trembling nervous for each really? of them. You, Absolutely. Oh, you, don't, Absolutely. you don't strike me as. <laughs> you know, I like, um, I like to know what's coming and um, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I just, 
and it's really important and it's about something that you really want to do or I Uh really wanted to do so I was absolutely nervous um I a funny story about going to interview with um Governor Parnell is that and I actually made that trip so he invited candidates um, were all of them in Juneau there were four of us and he invited us to Juneau I think we were all coming from Anchorage were all three interviews in Juneau no. So the one with Governor Parnell was in Juneau, and then Governor Walker was here in Anchorage. And then with um, Governor Dunleavy, it was COVID times. Um, so I had one that was on WebEx, like, well, like Zoom-like a thing. Remote, yeah. Yeah. And then um, my second one with him was telephonic. Um, so different formats. Um, but with Governor Parnell, we all, I was eight months pregnant with oh, my wow. first kiddo. And um, he invited us to Juno, which was fantastic because it's nice to be able to, to talk in person. Um, and I thought, oh, I might not be allowed to. I had to get permission from my doctor. Oh, because you're pregnant. You can't fly after <laughs> right. so many months. Yeah. After like seven months, they start to worry, I think. Um, so I got permission, like booked a flight, was able to make it all happen. And I traveled on a flight with Judge Dixon. There were two judgeships open and there were four of us who were... Um, nominated to go interview. Oh, so you were all going for the same interview? Well, that must have been kind of awkward. Hey, hey, you. She was wonderful. (laughs) She is, she was wonderful. She was very, she'd been through the process before, so she kind of helped me relax a little bit. The really funny thing, though, is that both of us um, were on a flight where some people's baggage was bumped from the flight. Um, So we both, you know, had brought you know, the things that you do for an interview, your hair product and your shoes and your, like, you want to mm. look nice for that interview. I actually brought my suit, my maternity suit on the plane because I was so nervous about making sure I had it. Yes, I can um, see that. Yeah, losing that, or not getting that. But poor Judge Dixon, like, her whole outfit, all of it, all of it bumped from the flight. And our interviews were, like, the next morning. So we weren't oh, going to get that stuff. Oh, geez. So we both had early morning cabs to Fred Meyer to um, go and purchase. <laughs> the Fred Meyer by the airport? For her, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. At the time, I was a little disoriented. But um, yeah, so she had to purchase an outfit and we were both purchasing shoes and just getting our stuff to get ready for these interviews. Um, but they were lovely interviews and um, it was a great process. I think that was true for, for each of the Did interviews. Did you find out? I mean, pretty quick, or was it like a day or a week? Oh, or? I want to say it was a couple weeks, um, close to the 45-day mark. The governor has 45 days mm-hmm. after he gets the names. Um, See, Winfrey got kind of... true for each of them. Winfrey had a good story. Yeah, he just got called yeah. right back. You know, hey. I, just, I, I don't have that story, no. I do when um, Governor Walker called... I was in what we call jail court doing arraignments for folks who are in custody on their new cases, and it can last. It was a Friday afternoon, Friday morning maybe. Okay, so it was a Friday morning, and I was doing some bail hearings and changes of plea, and he called during the time that I was doing that. So you couldn't answer. So I could I didn't know did that you, he did called. You, did you know it was him? I didn't know. You're like, uh, uh, hey, like, guys, I go off break. <laughs> no, I didn't find out until um, they were over. So it was like close to noon. And my um, judicial assistant had the number that had come up um, on her phone when the person, because the person called her and then she sent me an email that I got after the hearings were over. And I called that number and the person that I got didn't know 
like why the governor <laughs> was calling me because I think you know how you get a general number that comes up when yes. an office calls. So there was this maybe fifteen minutes where I thought, okay, well he's trying to get in touch with me because <laughs> you you didn't know if it was yes or no good news or bad. Yeah, I wasn't sure, hoping for good. I don't know, but I'm, I'm assuming if it's a no, somebody else calls you. I don't know. I don't Cause, know because didn't you didn't not get the first one right. I did not get the first time so you tried. I didn't go out of council the first time I tried. Oh, okay. So you weren't um, even. So I and but I got a very nice phone call about that, um, and then I didn't get the Supreme Court position the first time I applied, um, and yeah, it wasn't the governor that called for that. But then when I did get it this last time, um, it wasn't either. It was actually the the AG that called me and was very nice. Um, yeah, that's a. Very a, nice. Must be a great call. Uh, like, blows my mind. I mean, I still pinch myself that I get to, I get to do. Well, going job. back to what I said about you were clerking on the Supreme Court twenty, you know, some years ago, and now you're on the Supreme Court. I mean, this is like a very cool kind of track or, or yeah. um, journey. It still blows my mind that I get to do this. <clears throat> Last thing I'll ask because I was I was going to mention. Um, so we talked about having a job, and there's the the kitchen and all that. You have to to get to get your paycheck. You have to. And all the court levels, you have to do the cases. You have a, there's a time frame, I guess. Talk about kind of how that works, where you have to have the off the docket or whatever. Sure, yeah. So um, there's a six month deadline or a six month rule that we have, and so anytime you've got a motion or a decision that's pending, sort of the ball is in your court to do something about it. Um, there's a six month deadline for you to do that and get that done and move whatever it is forward. Um, and that sounds like a really long time and it is a really long time and none of us ever wants to be close to that six month deadline. Um, but I will say when you consider, particularly I think of time on superior court that for a lot of those judges, eight thirty to four thirty, they're on the bench handling hearings. Um, that makes it difficult to make those decisions and issue decisions in writing that you need to get done as well. Um, so it is not unusual to see, you know, judges in on the weekends, sometimes all weekend, judges or justices late at night um, working because we're just trying to do our best to do a timely <coughs> job and make the right decision. On any given day, whether it's Superior Court or Supreme Court, I mean, how many things do you have in front of you? Like dozens, hundreds? I mean, it could it be? Oh, gosh. Um, Superior Court... I, I can't even really ballpark it. You might have hearings in like eight different types of cases and then have stacks of files that you're working on, maybe the ones that you think you can decide quickly and then the ones that are going to involve more reading and research and, and writing and you split those out and try to make sure you're using time efficiently. And I know on Supreme Court, I've got, you know, different systems of files and there's multiple files in each mm -hmm sort of cue waiting for my attention. And um, I think I'm getting better at this now, trying to figure out how I can best work through those cases and how I'm going to be most efficient. But it's a lot. And then with the Supreme Court, we've got administrative things that are coming up as well that we need to and you have to be sure a, to we're be, attending to. To be a judge, you have to be a, a pretty good writer. Sometimes it's, yeah. um, for me, as like a just a layperson, I, I read some of these things and I'm like, what, what am I freaking reading? <laughs> what am I reading? You know, So I have to like ask my friends, like, what does this mean? And that's, you know, our goal, I think, is to not have readers feel that way. So we're trying to be more attentive to the fact that 
you know, not to use legal jargon and what, not what, to make it ununderstandable. What I, what I do, my, my trick whenever, I'm probably not the only one, whenever there's a case, uh, a ruling, sometimes they're 20, 50 page, I'll just go to conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> What they say, and then I, and I'll go back and look. At, but well, I, just, I hope if you're really wondering about the conclusion, though, you're going back. I do go back, but I, just to get because there's like the background and there's yeah. all, the, all the different matters for the. Yeah. Um, it was funny. I was talking to a friend who uh, was a you know lawyer, went to law school, uh, older, and said that the the concern they have is when they were in law school, and they had to get to an answer, they had to read a lot of things to be able to find the answer. Right. But now you can just Google it. Or you can oh, just, wow. um, you know, find the answer a lot easier. It's with technology and uh-huh. it's easier to get to the answer, but, but you don't sometimes go through the process of why that's the answer. Right, right. And that's so important, I think, both for parties involved in a case, but also, I mean, one of the things that's really important at, um, I think at every level, but particularly the appellate level, is the quality of writing and explaining the reasoning and the nuances of the case, because particularly for those appellate decisions that are opinions that are going to be relied on the f- in mm-hmm. the future, you're thinking about, okay, how is this ex- explanation going to play out or be useful or used in future different scenarios? You're really writing not only for the parties, but for the whole state to try to explain this decision and what import that may have, you know, in future yeah, and for the, and for situations. The, and for the future, somebody, like yeah. you said, they reference that as a precedent and they have to go back and right. <coughs> read it and And to decide their, what's right, you really have to understand the reasons for, for what, you're, what you're deciding. So um, I think at the appellate level, um, you know, that's sort of the, the last stop in, in a lot of ways. So we do... I think all judges do this, but we um, we have a little bit more in terms of resources on the Supreme Court and, and clerks um, to, to help us make sure. Um, and that collaborative process we have with the five mm-hmm. of us, all having, you know, perhaps different approaches, perspectives, but trying to come to consensus about what is correct, what is the right decision um, to really get it right, because that's, you know, that's the last stop for, for most cases. Well, Justice Henderson, it's been a great discussion. I really appreciate you coming on. I've been Thank trying to so talk to Nancy Mead and Suzanne DiPietro. I'm, I'm t- telling them, get the judges to come on the podcast. We are the shy podcast. people <clears throat> sometimes, but um, but this has been great. And I, I think there is a tell, lot tell, to be said for taking the mystery out of who we are and, and what we're doing. Tell, tell your friends. I will. Tell your judge I friends. <laughs> yeah, like I said, there's that kind of that, just that mysterious, like they're out there, but kind of in the yeah. ether. We don't really know. You know, sometimes it's. And we don't mean for it to be that way, but I think part of it is we we do tend to be a little bit introverted. And then we're not able to talk about specific cases, but we can definitely talk about process and explain things like we've been able to talk about today. So I'll definitely, I'll tell others. Well, thanks again, Justice uh, Jennifer Henderson from the Alaska Supreme, one of five justices, and I really... Enjoy talking to you, and uh, hopefully we'll do more of these with other other judges and justices. I really enjoyed that. That sounds great. Thank okay. you so much. Yeah, thanks again, Justice Henderson. And folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one.